This is our uh, collaboration between the uh, Star Tribune and WCC Radio. We call it Plain Politics. Scott Gillespie and John Rash are here. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Scott, let's start with the uh, news of Wednesday. The Star Tribune, as we're on the air live at 138, uh, confirming what other outlets are reporting, that it is a murder-suicide. Erwin Jacobs and his wife, Erwin Jacobs, a huge figure business-wise in this state, I was just looking up some of the uh, uh, adjectives to mm-hmm. describe business acumen or success. Leverage buyout specialist, corporate raider, uh, tracking down distressed assets, Irv the liquidator. Not as prominent publicly, I would say, the last 15 years. I'm sh- sure to his family, every right. bit is public. This is an awful story. The stories, the details are just coming out. You covered Irwin for a long time. What do you think about Irwin Jacobs? Yeah, I did have experience as a business editor here in the 90, 90s, uh, late eighties, early nineties, and that's the a, height of him, right? Yeah, and he was a he was a big figure and a not typical of Minnesota. Figure. Yes, I agree with that. Even though he grew up in North Minneapolis, uh, son of a Russian immigrant who was a burlap bag salesman, and in fact, Irwin ended up selling selling those himself as a kid. Uh, and, and probably got some of that acumen that he that he used later on in terms of liquidating, uh, selling distressed assets, uh, companies, uh, retail, uh, swashbuckler. Uh, you know, about six three, big guy, uh, big presence. Yeah, if you were around, became him. really wealthy. Would never hesitate to pick up the phone and call and complain about coverage. Oh yeah, but he also loved to have coverage. Yes, he liked to be the center of attention. Which, Listen, he was kind of a Donald yeah. Trump of this area, John. Right when you when you think of that. Well, indeed, and I think that when we all look back on him, the fact that he did enjoy this coverage and he was quite prominent, and you know there were many business people of the time who were involved in multiple businesses, but you know were more reticent to come out and, and speak with the press and, and be so publicly prominent, he certainly was not one of them. And no. so, indeed, a very, very sad story for his family and his friends and for the community and, and quite a loss and, and quite a shock to a lot of people who yeah. you know knew him personally and to the broader public who certainly knew him through his many media appearances. Yeah, again, we're live right now. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts, so this is at 141. More details will be covered throughout. Um, And our respect to all those folks who have been affected, uh, most importantly by this story, family and friends, as John and Scott mentioned. On to playing politics here and on to the president. Um, The president's main issue, Scott, has been the border, has been immigration. That allowed him to emerge among 16 other candidates. And we clearly have a humanitarian crisis. We have enormous numbers crossing the border, over 100,000 back-to-back months. The president, all the reporting says, is unhappy. Um, At times, some of the reporting from Jake Tapper is very well-respected from Mm -hmm. CNN, was basically telling people, uh, don't be afraid to be defiant to judges. Uh, Earlier today, when he was asked in in a press gaggle, uh, who's running Homeland Security right now? And he goes, it's me. So how about this moment for the president at this point? Well, it shows him in charge. He's on an, on top of an issue that he thinks plays very, very well with his base, obviously does play well with his base, has over the last, uh, uh, you know, through the campaign and, and in the early part of his administration. Uh, it uh, definitely takes the news coverage away from Barr's testimony, from the Mueller report, although we'll get a redacted version here soon, apparently. Yeah. 
Uh, so he's, he's in the headlines for another reason and uh, obviously thinks that it's the right strategy to, to keep that story alive. Do you think, John, that the Democrats, because clearly I think objective people say that, yes, the president cares about it genuinely, but there's a politics all about this also. Uh, and he's criticized for that. Are the Democrats also guilty of staying too true to their politics at times and where they could meet at some point and show the president, OK, here's how we've moved significantly. Let's see if you're willing to do it also. I agree. And I think that what really should be focused on is the root of this problem yeah, because it's right. a humanitarian disaster for multitudes streaming out of Central American countries and the vast majority our families, women and children, and people whose lives are on the line because of what can only be described as either flailing or failing states in Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala. Yep. And so I think that the Democrats who clearly do care about these individuals, the president who does and the president who does have the job of national security, should be able to come together and say, what are we going to do about this beyond the border in terms of trying to address the roots of it? Accordingly, I think it was a significant strategic error of the president to cut funding to those three countries because that After funding- his own administration and said days before, this has worked, this is successful, and it hasn't been as successful with Guatemala and Honduras, but the data on El Salvador is dramatic that it has helped. Indeed, and- you know, to the degree that it was earmarked for security services and to try to mitigate the worst of the gang violence, while it certainly you know, wasn't a panacea, it, it was part of the solution. And now you know, there's every reason to believe that the problems will metastasize and you know, maybe potentially destabilize parts of Mexico as well. This is a big regional problem, needs a big regional approach. And pulling away from that, I don't think, is the smart move. But certainly there should be some kind of bipartisan consensus that can be found here to begin to address this because it truly is becoming a humanitarian crisis. It absolutely is, Scott. And and the president continues to toss things out where we don't have any proof that the countries themselves are organizing, that the governments themselves are organizing the people that they want to leave the country. Right. And they then come here. Okay, there's no proof that that is not to say every person who, whose asylum is a saint. Right? There, there right. needs to be a process. There needs to be follow up on it. Now there's uh, an interesting situation on they might make the questions dramatically harder on asylum mm-hmm. to try to prove this. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing the president says when his own data doesn't prove it up that if you're granted asylum and a hearing is set up. That they don't show one or two percent. The data from his own Homeland Security Department says 70 to 80 percent at least still show up. Right. And you would think they would. They've made that investment to get to that point. They're going to show up. I think the other thing that gets lost in this completely is the fact the bigger picture about immigration in this country and demographers and economists all say we need immigrants. We need them in our workforce. We've got a labor shortage now. It's looming even larger in the future because of the demographics, because of the aging population, and because of lower birth rates among natives, uh, native populations in this country. And so uh, economic growth is threatened 
unless we have some sort of sensible immigration policy in this country. Republicans and, say yeah. that every bit as much as Democrats. That's right. Chambers of Commerce will yes. say that all Neil over Kashkari, the country. Neil Kashkari, head of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank, that's right. his main message right now is we have a fundamental choice and we need to choose immigration to be able to keep our economy stable, let alone growing. So. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, comments from Representative Omar drawn a reaction, this time mainly from Trump supporters. Okay, let's let's revisit her just briefly myself as a host and the editorial board as a whole. Uh, we all at times on some of the comments have called her out for anti-Semitic tropes. In this case, she went with a very bold, highly critical comment towards Stephen Miller, who's very powerful with the president, especially on immigration. And she said he's a white nationalist. The comeback then from many Trump supporters, including the president tweeting this, retweeting this, was, well, there she is with an anti-Semitic comment again. Again, I've called her out on these tropes before. I don't believe when she says I don't. I wasn't aware of it. That that doesn't pass the test for me. But have we really reached a point now where every time Representative Omar disagrees with somebody who's of the Jewish faith, it's automatically anti-Semitic? Because to me, that's absurd. I concur that that's not the way to go about this. And indeed, you know, her uh, loyalty to her country first was questioned on Fox and Friends this morning, and the latest turn in this controversy as well. And you know, this is a time where everyone should take the time to step back. I think that, you know, one can criticize Stephen Miller and his influence on the immigration debate on President Trump himself without, you know, characterizing him as a white nationalist. And Representative Omar is should be clear to be able to criticize someone of the stature of Stephen Miller without some of the accusations that are coming back at her at this yep. point. I think this is just so indicative of how counterproductive our national conversation is at this point where nothing is really happening except political point scoring and the fundamental issues of, of real lives at play at the border and in Central America, as an example on this issue, are not being addressed. The president is coming to town, Scott. He is coming to town on tax day. He will certainly tout the economy. He will certainly tout the uh, tax increase. And he's also coming here because he looks back to 2016 and he lost it by, what, 1.3%, 1.4%. And he, and he won. I think it was. It was I th- close. I think it was, I think it was that margin. It was very close. Um, and guess what? He won Wisconsin, right? Right. And at this point, uh, the president should feel confident, right? He's the president. You know he's absolutely audacious. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that he's coming here on that day to right. say, hey, guess what? I'm going to be on the ticket. Yep. You have more money in your pocket. The socialists want to take your money, and and that message will be heard loud and clear here. I think that's right, and I'm glad you mentioned Wisconsin and that, Chad, because I think people here tend to forget that we're not very far from that border. No. And the, and the battleground counties in Wisconsin, the ones that had supported President Obama in two successive elections and then flipped uh, at similar percentage point differences to Trump is what helped him carry Wisconsin. So when he comes here, the media coverage that's generated here is the Western Wisconsin. That's what those people are listening oh, yeah, to, WCCA sure. radio. Yep. Uh, reading the trip. And reading the Star Tribune. And uh, and I bet you if you went to whatever event he holds that many of the license plates will be from Wisconsin as well. Yeah. So he's campaigning here, but that's also a play for uh, galvanizing that support in Western Wisconsin, I think. I mean, John, he was here, what was it, the Sunday before the election, Sun Country Airlines, at the hangar, 
and Scott nailed it. It wasn't just for Minnesota. It was also the message to Western Wisconsin, and it certainly didn't hurt him. It not only didn't hurt him, but what really hurt Secretary Clinton was the fact that she had not been there. And, yep. You know, among many missteps in her campaign was basically ignoring the great state of Wisconsin. And given the margin, which was incredibly slender, that President Trump won by in there, that could have turned the whole election. So very strategic and, and very savvy. It'll be interesting to see what his message is, because partly Minnesota having relatively higher taxes in a state income tax, as an example, some of the people in some of the states who feel they haven't fared as well under this tax reform right. are in the proverbial blue states, Minnesota being chief among them. So it's interesting that he's choosing here to talk about tax yep. reform as opposed to That's going true. to you know, one of the states that statistically would have fared better. But uh, he's already clearly looking at the 2020 campaign, and no wonder. Be, I mean, beyond the coverage that, of course, it'll get in Wisconsin, we're just a little bit north of Iowa where you have mm-hmm. you know, 17 Democrats running around at this point yep. in, in a very crowded and soon-to-be-growing field. I'm sure well. soon they'll be angry Democrats. Uh, we have about 90 seconds or so. Uh, Mayor Pete. His surge, and how does Amy Klobuchar fit in that mix? You first, Scott. Well, uh, she fits in as a moderate uh, alternative on the uh, on the Democratic side. He's, I would put him in there as well yeah. uh, in that same group. Uh, so she's probably not thrilled that uh, that he's he's as popular as he is right now. That said, I thought that her first uh, money report, the five plus million raised was pretty positive, yep. pretty solid for uh, her, given her national uh, uh, position. And, and so she, she could feel good about that, but uh, probably doesn't feel all that great about uh, Mayor Pete's uh, ability to capture people's attention. I think that we certainly have a long way to go, we would all agree. But if you were looking for a candidate who would be the antithesis of the appeal of President Trump on so many different levels. How about everyone? In terms of style <laughs> I mean, and, and substance, you would come up with someone like Mayor Pete. And yeah. I think that's part of his appeal. And I think that regardless of where anyone listening is on the political spectrum, the fact that we're a meritocracy and people can project themselves and do so well based on their rhetorical skills and their ideas, which is he really rushed up the um, polling once he did the CNN town hall is a confirmation of our democracy. Gentlemen, great stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Plain Politics, the partnership between the Star Tribune and WCCO Radio. One fifty-three. that's the Lindis Construction Time Check. Time to call us for free home improvement estimates on windows and insulation.